no Sunday school this afternoon after church, so I can take as long as I want to. And lunch isn't at my in-law's house until 1, so I've got till like 12.45. So I don't want to make the in-laws mad. Or the wife. That's actually probably more important. I don't want to make the wife mad. She's not in here, so I can say that. Flip in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick up where we left off earlier this morning. Uh, we read most of the end of chapter uh, 27, uh, which, by the way, I'm a brush, which means I like it when I get to prove people wrong. And so on Monday, I was in the office with my mom and my brother, and, you know, I said that there are zombies in the Bible. And Nathan goes, no, there's not. And I said, oh, contraire. And I quickly grabbed my Bible, flipped to Matthew chapter 27, and read verse 52, where it says the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. You're correct. The word zombie is not in the Bible, but the idea is. Drop the mic, if you will. Don't ever, don't ever let somebody tell you the Bible's boring. It's not. They're just not reading the right parts, apparently. Before we read chapter 28, I do want, I was talking to my grandma about this a little bit on Wednesday, and I do, I just want to talk about this a little bit first. Excuse me, my shirt came untucked a little bit. Um, put yourself in the shoes of that centurion that we read about there in verse 54, who sees all that's happening and goes, truly, this is the Son of God. Let's run through what has happened. Jesus is on the cross. He dies, and he, he, right as he dies, he says, you know, into your hands I commend my spirit, and it's gone. He dies. And there's darkness for three hours, from six to nine. Unnatural darkness. We were a little bit wrong, Grandma. We said six. We thought it was from 12 to six. It's not. It's actually from six to nine. We can admit that, right? Okay. Okay. The sixth hour to the ninth hour. That's what it is. Let's put it at that, because that is what Scripture says. It might technically be 12 to three. For three hours. We can, we can agree on that part. Now you're good. You, my, my. I'm pretty sure that would have killed me. Can you imagine asking me to sit still for three hours? It's no good. Duct tape. Duct tape, yeah. For three hours, it's supernaturally dark. There's a massive earthquake. Not everybody would have known this, but the veil in the temple that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is torn. And then... Dead people start walking around. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's alive right then. It's pretty easy to see why the centurion goes, certainly this is the son of God. He's never seen anything like this in his life. Put yourselves as well in the shoes of Mary Magdalene or the other Mary. Pick which Mary you'd like to be. Because that's who we read is the first to go to the tomb on Sunday morning. I mentioned it, I think, in the early service, but I might have mentioned it in this one as well. I don't remember. They couldn't go on Saturday to prepare the body because Saturday is the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying that back then it was called Saturday, but I'm going to use Friday, Saturday, Sunday because that's our vernacular today. They couldn't go on Saturday because that was the Sabbath, so they could not go and prepare the body for burial and death. It was wrapped, it was put in the tomb, but the spices and everything were not done yet. So that's why these two women, that's where we find these two women. That's why they're going early in the morning. I also want to jump on this. A lot of the times in culture, 
throughout the ages, women have gotten a bad rap for various things. The patriarchy does exist. I'm not gonna, we're not denying that. But notice who it is that's going. It is not the beloved one, John. It is not the best friend, Peter. It is the women who are going to do the work. The men have given up. They're out moping. They're a man with a cold. They're laid out in bed, even though it's really not that bad. And these women are the ones who get up and go to take care of Jesus. There's something neat in that. Let's read it, though. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Don't go, there's two slides, there's three total slides of scripture. Don't go to the third one yet. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. It reads, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, so this is really early morning, right? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, and he became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren and leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So let's, let's walk through what happened. Number one on your note sheets there. Number one, despair turns to hope. Despair turns to hope. Make no mistake, Friday was a bad day for everyone involved. Why? Because they didn't know what was happening. They didn't understand. What they saw was Mary sees his son, and the disciples and others saw their friend being beatily brutally brutally beaten. Today's going to be one of those days, apparently. Whipped beaten with rods, made a mockery of, and hung on a cross. Now, I've talked about this in years past, but I just want to bring it up again as we walk through this. Most of the time when you were hung on a cross, you were not nailed there. You were tied there. Why waste a good nail? We were killing you. Rope is reusable. Jesus, on the other hand, He wasn't just tied there. He probably was also tied to help hold his body weight there. But he was nailed to that cross. Now most of the time when we see pictures of it, we think of the hand as right here. It's not. Your body weight never would have been supported. His hand literally would have ripped away from the nail. Back then in those times, the hand extended down to about here on the the arm. So most likely the nail was around here because that can hold more of your weight. So when we think about it, it wasn't necessarily the hand that we think of. It was more in the lower wrist area that's nailed there. One through the feet. I used to think when I was a kid that that nail went through the ankles, and I was really confused about how that worked. Most likely it did not. Most likely it went through the top of the foot as they crossed over, right? That makes more sense. So he's there, 
He's dying. He eventually does die. All of the stuff we read in chapter 27 happens. We don't know what Saturday is like. Scripture doesn't tell us. I think it was quiet, though. I think there was a shock that had went through everybody at the brutality of this killing. And Sunday, two women get up early in the morning to go take care of the body. Morning as they go, but they know the men aren't going to get it done, so we've got to do it. We've got to do right by Jesus. And they get to the tomb. And what do they see but an angel standing there? I want to take a minute and stop and talk about what's happened. Because as I wrote there, these people, both the women and the men, have accepted Jesus' death. They've accepted that he's dead. Now Jesus told them on more than one occasion, I'm coming back. But they've accepted that he's dead because they're going to prepare the body, right? We read about at Christmas, what's brought by the wise men? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What are those used for? Your burial. It's not this precious, beautiful gift. They're literally coming and like, here's the spices you need for when he dies and the money to pay for it. That's what the wise men bring. Puts a little more context into when the verse that says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. She wasn't stupid. She was young, not stupid. So they're coming to prepare his body for death. And as they walk, they've accepted that Jesus is gone. And they're probably talking, trying to figure out where do they go from here? What is next? They've followed this man for some three years. What do we do now that he's gone? And they get there and he's gone again. And an angel is standing there. Let's talk about this angel. Because we read in verse 3. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. I was talking to my mom about this. We often get on people in scripture because they worship angels, right? An angel appears and it says they immediately fall on their face and start worshiping. Then we're like, how could you do that? If some bright lightning-like thing appeared right now, right there, your first response would be, that must be God. We don't know anything else like it. That's why the angels constantly have to be like, no, no, don't worship me. I'm not God. I'm just sent by him. And they say those three words that, or four words, excuse me, that they also almost always say whenever we see an angel appear in scripture. Do not be afraid. Notice who's afraid in the scripture and who's not. Verse four, we read, the guards shook with fear and became like dead men. A lot of times when we tell this story, we talk about it like that the, the guards were like knocked unconscious, like the angel came with a club and hit them from behind. This verse makes it very clear. These poor guards saw the angel and fainted. These women saw the angel and got close. And the angel goes, don't, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You're coming for Jesus. He was crucified. They probably didn't answer him and say, yep, you've got it right. They probably just stood there, probably still afraid. Because whenever somebody says, don't be afraid, you immediately become unafraid, right? It's like when somebody tells you to calm down. You just immediately just, oh, we're calm now, right? No, so the Mary and the other Mary are probably still petrified at this being that is before them. And the angel says, listen, I know who you're looking for. He's not here. He's risen just 
like he said he would do. I mentioned it at the sunrise service. You can almost hear just a little bit of sass. I told you so in that line. Told you he was coming back. Why didn't you listen? You're here to prepare his body. There's no body to prepare. It's gone. Put yourselves in the shoes of these two women. The thoughts that must be running through their head. At first, they probably think, I'm hallucinating. I'm in grief. I didn't get a lot of sleep the past couple of days. I probably haven't eaten or drank enough. I'm hallucinating this being. Then they hear he's not here. The second thought might be, who stole the body? Who is strong enough to roll this stone away and steal the body of my Savior? And then the third thought, and we know this has to be one of their thoughts because we read it here. He says, listen, come in, look at the spot, see there's no body, now go and tell his disciples. And what does it say that they do? They immediately go. You see, for all the doubts they might have had, for all the issues with faith they might have experienced in that moment, they also did as they were told. You see, the women had a job to do, and Maddie was reading a, a devotional earlier this week, and she talked to me about it, and I went, wow, that's really interesting, and I hadn't thought about it. We know the old adage, what are the three best ways to get a message to somebody? Telegraph, telephone, and tell a woman. Here's the thing, in 33 AD, or wherever you want to call it then, you didn't tell a woman. Women were not entrusted with any important message. It's that patriarchy thing again. And yet, here we have two women entrusted with the most important message of all time. Go and tell his disciples. Start spreading the news that Christ is risen. It's just another example of how God doesn't care about our social norms. He does what he wants to do. And also, this might be the first instance of tell a woman, and it worked out great because they did exactly as they were supposed to do. And who knows, they probably told a few other people too. I love that verse. And they left the tomb quickly with fear, I'm in verse 8, and great joy. They're still afraid but their joy is overwhelming that fear because they know the man who is in that grave is not there and it's not because somebody stole a body. It's because he got up and walked out. And they go and they're running and just to make matters better for them, who should appear to them but Jesus himself. Now let's put them back in their shoes. I mentioned this in the early service. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of him in this pristine, glowing, white robes and glorified, right? All clean and perfect. I don't think that's what he looks like. We read the account of Thomas in, uh, in John for the sunrise service, and he has to touch the wounds in his side and his hands and stuff. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says that Jesus doesn't still look like he was just on a cross. Maybe he's not bloody anymore. Maybe he took a bath. But wounds still in his side, in his hands, on his back where he's whipped, on his head where the crown of thorns was shoved down on. And this man appears in front of them. Probably a little bit more fear involved now. But also confirmation of who's in front of them. And Jesus says, listen, don't be afraid. Go 
tell, the, tell my, my disciples where I'm going. I'm going ahead of you into Galilee. I'll see them there. Despair had turned to hope. We're almost done this morning, but I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. You can go to that next one there, Dad. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Because I would be remiss this morning if I didn't present the only way to heaven because it's the reason that Jesus died. I'm in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It reads, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We're on number two here on your note sheets there. The only way. The only way. You see, here's the thing. Culture anymore tries to tell you that there are many ways to heaven. Believe in a different God, as long as you follow those tenets, it's good. Do good works, and as long as you do enough of them, you're good. Put enough money in the offering plate, and you're doing okay. I'm here to say there's one way to heaven. That's it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no extracurricular activities. There's nothing that you can do besides one way. That's it. You see, we just talked about Jesus' death and then his resurrection. And he did that for you. But there is something you've got to do. Right? When we're in Sunday school, we call them the ABCs of salvation. Right? Accept, believe, confess. Great stuff. Why do we do that? Because scripture is very clear. You have to confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. That's what you got to do. You need to realize that you need a savior. That's step number one. Realize you can't do this anymore on your own. You never could. You've just been faking it so far. There's no faking it when you get up there though and he's sitting on the great white throne and he says, go. I didn't know you. There's no faking it up there. There's no tricking God. You can trick everybody around you. You can trick yourself. There's no tricking God. So you've got to realize you need a savior. And then you've got to confess it. But here's the thing. Just saying he's Lord doesn't do it. You know who else says that Jesus is Lord? Demons. Satan. Congratulations. If you say Jesus is Lord, you're on the same level as the enemy. Good job. You've got to go deeper than that. You've got to give all of yourself and believe it solely and wholeheartedly that he is God, that he is Lord, that he is the only way. There's no other way around it. There's nothing else that you can do. There's no amount of good works, no amount of money, nothing. That's it. That's the only way. We like to sometimes sugarcoat this and make it seem real nice and happy. It's not. You go to hell or you accept Christ. That's it. That's that. Those are your choices. There's no middle ground involved in it. A lot of times we like to write, pray the sinner's prayer, if you will. Prayer, that prayer doesn't save you, but it helps us confess with our mouth. That's why we do it, because it helps us. We're physical creatures. We're physical beings, so we need sometimes something concrete to grab a hold of that we can do. But all the words that you say don't mean anything if he's not right here, if you don't believe it in your heart. Mom is teaching this same lesson, not the Matthew part, but the Romans part, 
over in Children's Church right now. She's probably finished up by now. I want to leave you and ask you this. Most of you have been in church longer than I've been alive. Congratulations. Do you know Jesus? Or have you just been playing at it your whole life? Have you accepted him? Or are you just playing games? Because when you get to heaven, there's no more playing. When you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there's no playing. There is strictly, does Jesus look at you and go, I wrote his name down. I wrote her name down in the book of life. There's no sin that you committed in your life that Jesus doesn't forgive. Except for one. Dying without him. That's it. It's the only thing he doesn't forgive. And we don't know when our death is. You could walk out of here and die. You could die right now. You could have a blood clot that's slowly making its way towards your brain. You don't know. We celebrate Easter because of what he did. And I want as many people celebrating Easter with me as I can. Because that means there's more people that have accepted the free gift. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. There's nothing we could do to make him give it to us. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. And if you think that you can, you've missed the point. But can you honestly say this that I know with all my heart? His wounds have paid my ransom. Because they paid yours. You've just got to give over the debt. We're going to pray. And I am going to pray a sinner's prayer. I'm not going to ask, you know, sometimes when you're at a convention or a youth camp or something like that, they're like, put your hand in the air if you'd like to pray. No, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to say, if you are not sure, if you're not sure you've accepted Christ, then do it now. Do it now. Because you don't know what the next moment holds. You don't know what it brings. And there's a day coming when you have to answer And is your answer going to be, look at the one sitting on your right? Or is your answer going to be, well, look at all that I did? Only one answer works. It's the only one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you came, you lived, you died, and you were born again, you were resurrected for us so that we can be born again. Father, I pray that your spirit would be working this morning, not just in the lives of the men and women here in this church, whether they be young or old, but in churches around this nation, around this world, who are celebrating this morning Easter Sunday. That can say, I serve a risen Savior. That can honestly say, I don't know why I gain, but I do. Father, we praise you. Now we're going to... I want to lift up. And if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this with me. It can be out loud. It can be as loud as you want it to be. But if you haven't accepted him, I can't urge you enough to pray with me this morning. Father, I recognize that I need a Savior. I've been trying to do this on my own for so long. Maybe I thought that I was working in you, but in reality, I was just doing good works, but I didn't have the faith behind it. I didn't have your spirit in me. Father, I recognize I need a savior, and I'm asking that you would come into my heart. I believe that you are the son of God, that you are God, that you are the only way to heaven, and that I need you. Come into my heart. Change my life. Be my Lord and my savior. Father, we pray this. We all pray it. It's the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.